Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be out of today. Um, and uh, let's just pray as you guys are turning. The Lord is not offended. You're allowed to turn to that page of the Bible as we pray. He's, he's okay with that. So Lord, as we turn to chapter 7 of Matthew, Lord, we just ask right now that you just continue to just be here in our midst, uh, that you settle our hearts and settle our minds to focus on you and your eternal word. Lord, I pray as today is a little bit of a different message, that would be one that we can just encompass, that we can be encouraged with, that we can go forward and be molded in, into your image. That we can be encouraged and edified, Lord. We just pray right now that our hearts would be open and ready to receive uh, what you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. <clears throat> Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, this is the Lord speaking, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Okay? So, what we have here is, right, we've been going on our journey, a sermon series on the times and life of Jesus. And so the next thing and the next theme that we're looking at uh, is the oracles of God. Um, I'm not sure with the lighting in here, if you can uh, see that. Uh, Josh, you mind moving the, um, the cursor just off the screen so we don't have that little thing in the bottom left? I probably should get rid of it. Uh, but if you take a look uh, up close, you can see the actual uh, Bible. And uh, it says, read me on it. And what, How does it make that, that font right there? Dust. Yeah, dust, right? It's a little harder to see in here. Uh, on, on the net, when, on Facebook, you could see a little better when we posted it. Uh, but what we have here is, you know, this notion of read me, right? The Bible's been covered in dust, right? Uh, and so let's, let's get into a little bit of a journey here. An oracle, this is so we are speaking the same language. An oracle is a word, right? It's a word from a divine place. Now, we would believe the oracles of God are the actual words of the Lord, in fact, right, it says that the Lord, or rather the Word was made flesh, right, Jesus. But other societies and other peoples, they would have oracles as well. Those oracles being words from their pagan gods, right? Lowercase g versus big G, right? Um, all different societies would, would have some kind of oracle, or they would go to an oracle. Someone who would like summon up spirits to try to get a word from a divine place, right? But... Oracle in itself is, is a divinely inspired word, right? It's what you have in your hand, the oracles of God. Uh, and so, you know, looking and preparing into uh, what to go with in, in the next part of our sermon series, you know, the next step was supposed to be, and it kind of is, um, the Sermon on the Mount. So this is really, this is when the Lord really goes out and starts to publicly teach his ideas, right? Everything else that we've been leading up to has been the background to the coming of Jesus. It's been the baptism of the Lord. Uh, it's been about the ministry of John the Baptist, the temptation, um, the calling of disciples, all of these different things. Even him going into the temple and cleaning out the money changers. These are all the events that are taking place. But now, this is what we call the first tour. The first tour of the Galilee, where he does most of his teaching. And during his first tour of the Galilee, he goes to the side of a mountain and he gives like this epic teaching, like the main doctrine and teachings of Jesus. It in fact encompasses chapters 5, 6, and 7, so three full chapters of just the book of Matthew alone. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. You guys have heard of that, right? Right? Okay, all right, so I make sure. So, 
if you take a look at those three chapters, I'm just going to make it very easy for you in some regards. This is what the Lord is all teaching in that, those three chapters. First thing he leads off with are what's known as the Beatitudes. Some people say there's eight, but I count them and they're nine, so I'm really confused. Blessed are, like I count nine blessings, but everyone says there's eight, so I'm really confused on that. Maybe someone can help me out with that later. But I'm like, there's nine here. There's nine blessings. What's going on? So anyhow, these are like the blessed are the poor, right? Blessed are the meek, right? The, the Beatitudes, the blessings upon people, right? That's where it begins with. Then the Lord begins to discuss the, the importance of being salt to the world and light to the world. Begins to teach about murder and having murder in your heart. Evil thoughts about someone. Begins to talk about and teaches on adultery. Adultery is more than uh, just sleeping with your neighbor's wife. It is in fact having an impure thought, right? Inside of your mind for someone else that is not your spouse. Goes on to talk about marriage and divorce and all the intricacies of all these things. Then swearing. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? Uh, goes on now to love your enemies and then teaches us how to pray. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. All right. Number nine, something that like no one really teaches about, which I'm really itching to teach about. May I'll be next week. Let's see. Fasting. It would make sense in maybe two weeks, right? For Yom Kippur, right? That would be a good time. Uh, so fasting, the importance and power of fasting and what you should be doing, what you should not be doing. Money, anxiety, and judging one another. Who here in your collective years of being a believer have heard a sermon on one of these topics? Like any, any one of these topics, who here has heard a sermon on those topics? I mean, there are actually like churches who like only teach on that. I mean, like, I mean... I'm not saying that's what you should be doing, but like th th there's a lot of attention spent on these three chapters of Jesus' ministry. It is round one, ding, 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 of his tour of the galley when he begins to teach really the, his, if you want to call it theology, but you know what I mean, like his teachings. But we've all heard sermons on this. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, man, there's, I'm like, Lord, I, you know, we could spend a year on this stuff. I mean, easy. You, you can spend a whole year of sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount. I was like, Lord, is that what you want? Uh, and he's like, well, Dave, didn't I tell you that uh, this sermon series is, is on the times in life of Jesus? I'm like, oh, yeah. So that's a little bit different, right? And he's like, yeah, it is a little different. Because I'm teaching on the times in life and bringing in Scripture so you have a deeper understanding of what's going on at the time period. And I thought the Lord just tell me this. Um, before studying what Jesus teaches, which I, we, we could do today. Like, we just be like, all right, the Beatitudes, let's, let's do it. But we've all heard sermons on that. So why don't you just go back and, like, you know, put in an old cassette from the 80s and, and listen to that teaching. Or YouTube, like, Sermon on the Mount teachings. Go for it. Make sure it's a reputable person, but, you know, go for it. But what the Lord was saying is before studying what Jesus teaches, we need to examine how did people during the times of Jesus view the oracles of God. Huh. I feel like that's really what the heart of the Lord is right now, I believe. Is before we start now for the rest of our sermon series, really getting into what the Lord teaches us. Let's take a moment and say, all right, before we get into all the things that the Lord teaches us, which I've probably heard a thousand sermons on already in my life, why don't we take a little different approach? Let's take a little pause and say, all right, well, what are oracles of God anyway? How should we view those words of God? Um, how did people at the time view the actual spoken word and the written word of God? And what does it have to teach me? Has anyone had a sermon on that topic? In the first century, what did the words of God mean or oracles mean to people? All right, it's awesome. So, like, you know, we've had teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, which is great. So I can give you another one if you want, which maybe will be next week. I don't know. Let's see how the, I, man, I don't go by the seat of my pants. I go by the Spirit of the Lord. I, sometimes he tells me that morning, like, oh, you're teaching this. You've got to go teach this now. So I just, I just send it to the Lord, but I really feel that the Lord is on this because we, we haven't quite done this. Cool. So I was hearing from the Lord. 
All right. Being confirmed. All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's dig some connections. And, you know, it's just how, kind of how the Lord speaks to me. But, you know, in scriptures, uh, the Lord says that he's appointed Moedim. He's appointed appointed times in the stars and the heavens to look upon. And the Lord is doing different things. And I believe that is strictly really for the biblical calendar. Uh, but with that being said, we do have a time that is happening right now in, um, in, in our society. Uh, and that is back to school, which I led off on. Right now, all across the nation, really all across the world, people are getting ready for school. So, you know, I, I was like, okay, well, 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 let's, let's take a look at what's happening in our society right now. Right now, our United States collective society is about to spend 83.6 billion dollars on going back to school if you include college if you take college out american society right now in these next couple weeks is spending 54 billion dollars on education related things as a society that's that's like like buy stock in staples in July and sell that stock in October. Like Staples is going nuts. Has anyone been within like a, you know a hundred feet of a, of a Staples? Do 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 like save yourself. Either get there when it first opens, or do not go there. If you walk into a Staples in the next three weeks, and trust me, especially at like three thirty, four o'clock, five o'clock, you walk in, it is like. It's like tickle me Elmo on you know, at Christmas. It's, it's insane. Parents are walking around like, well, the teacher said I needed to buy this particular brand of glue, but they're out of this particular brand of glue. If my kid doesn't have this particular brand of glue, it's, ins- it's insane. In fact, a little hard to see, I apologize, but um, in 2017, the average family spend $700 going back to school. You know, the sneakers, the clothes, the stationery, the paper bag. You know, you know, I mean, I'm not saying everyone spends $700. I bet there's people that pay, spend $2,000. And there's probably people that spend $100. But the average, the collective average of, this, of society is $700 just to get ready for school. So what am I getting at here? We invest in our modern 21st century society a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of value, and sending our kids owes to school. For what, as a public school teacher, I'll be honest, I don't entirely know. In some school districts, it's just so that they can go to college. Like, they teach you the skills so you can go to college. Most schools, that's what you get with a diploma. You can't think for yourself. You can't do basic jobs or basic skills. But you have a piece of paper that says you might be able to go into college. So I don't know what's, what, what, where all that money is going. I'm, I'm a public school teacher and I'm saying this. But our society values it that much. So start to break things down. All right, so your school career, 180 days times 7 hours a day times 13 years if you include full-day kindergarten, right? First grade to 12th grade, that's 12 years in kindergarten, that's 13 years. That is 16,380 hours, that's 982, 800 minutes. That is being spent on the academic process for your children. Moedim, God's appointed times, the oracles of God. Lord is coming to me. How much time, how much money, how much value have you placed in my word? You went to school for 13 years, plus another four years of college, less another two years of graduate school, plus another two years of graduate school. For what? The money, the time, the resources, the value, all of this stuff. Your kids, I have a, a little girl's going to be in kindergarten. She's about to embark on this. Close to one million minutes. Colors, shapes, Shakespeare, geometry, algebra, physics, biology. 
The train is going 60 miles per hour, is heading west. <laughs> and leaves at 9 o'clock and meets at 10.30 at this point. The Lord was saying to me, how is it that you guys spend so much time, so much energy, all of society is changed pivotally in the first week of September to get ready to begin this process? But where are the people who are getting ready to study the words of God? <laughs> it is, it is, it's almost impossible not to. So I don't want to blame anyone. But we have all spent more time in our life studying the academic pursuits than the Word of God. Because society does it for you. Like you have to, by law, go to school, right? You don't have to, by law, spend seven hours a day, 180 days, for 13 years studying the Scriptures. Can you imagine that? Well, I can, because there's complete, yeah, there's complete societies amongst the Jewish community that do that. They'll, they'll have their kids go to school to like lunchtime. Then, all right, from lunchtime to like seven, you are studying the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> yeah, you know? So I just want to like stir you up a little bit. Am I stirring you a little bit? All right. <laughs> during the times of Yeshua, during the times of Jesus, and soon after, the Word of God goes to the Gentiles. Now, I already spent some time on like, what does it mean to be a disciple and that whole process up in the galley, if you guys remember that. When he says, come, follow me, be a disciple, what does that really look like? What does that really mean in the Jewish context of the first century? And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. But now what's going to happen here is we're, the, the word of God is going to start to go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Uh, and as it goes there, um, there's an interesting thing, I think, that develops here. And that is, how did, actually, the pagan world, how did they study and receive the oracles and words from their gods? And what does this have to teach us? Now, before you get, like, all, like, what's going on here, I'm not teaching on paganism and to be a pagan. All I'm saying is, well, what did they do? Because look what we do for, you know, abstract sciences and academics. Look at the amount of time that we spend on that, right? The word of God is going to the Gentile world in Turkey, in the biblical language, it's Asia Minor. Paul the Apostle particularly has to go up against the spirit of paganism and Greek gods. Okay? And so what we have here is we'll say that someone living in the Greek world, the Roman world, they have a problem, they have an issue. Like, I need some insight, I need some wisdom, I need to hear an oracle, I need to hear a word from the gods. Because guess what? Those societies, they did that. Like, we're not the only culture that does things like that. Right? They did that. Well, if they had a problem, what would they do? Well, what they would have to do is they would have to go on a journey. They would have to go on a journey to a temple. A Greek temple. They have to travel. They would have to go. Um, think about that. They're going to disrupt their family's life. Like, maybe someone's like, you know what, I, I'm thinking about maybe starting a new job, Apollo. Can you give me some wisdom? They then would travel. They would take their family. It could be up to a month. They would go tens, hundreds of miles away to the temple. They would go and they would write a question on a piece of papyrus, a piece of paper. They would give it to the priest. The priest would take it to a priestess. And the priestess would meditate on that word. And then come back and give them an answer. The gods are saying this. Should I marry this girl? Should I marry this guy? Should I plant wheat or should I plant... Bulgur wheat? I don't know. They would go and they would seek counsel from an oracle. Now right there, let's just think about this. You're disrupting your family. You're leaving your trade and your money. You're traveling so you're spending more money. You're sitting here waiting, 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 waiting... For this answer. Okay? And so, um, now you're sitting there and you're waiting for this. Um, particularly for our guests, I, 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 I wasn't going to show yet again a video. Because I've been showing a little more videos than I, I'm used to, I think. Um, but 
I watched this again after watching it 15 years ago. 15 years ago, I watched this video, and at the end of the video, I was sobbing, just weeping about answering this question. And uh, I was like, all right, we're going to watch it. We're going to watch it. Because this guy, as you saw last week, does a much better job than I do taking you to a Greek temple, saying, all right, the family has come. We're now sitting and we're waiting for the oracles of the lowercase g's to answer. You have to, there you go. So they're about to go to the temple now. They're walking through. Now picture where we are. This is the place for priests. But our attention turns to this little building here. Come. Right here was a small inner temple. And there were stairs, you can still see some of them, that allowed the priests to go down deep, as it were, into the underworld. Now the oracle was typically an old woman. She had disciples, she trained, but she would sit suspended in a tripod in the middle of this temple of Apollo. We don't know exactly how it worked here. In Delphi, she was suspended over a hole in the earth out of which fumes came. It turns out they're fairly close to what's in blue. So the effect of her sitting there was as if she were sniffing blue. Josh, can you make it a little louder? The oracle would get the question from the priest who stood next to her. And then in her ecstasy, she would give the answer and he would jot it down. And eventually a priest would put it to poetry. Now, I don't know how it works. I look at this building and I say, it couldn't have been wrong every time, or you wouldn't end up with this. Some have suggested she made it all up. It was just lucky. Could be. Some have suggested it was evil, demonic powers giving her information. Well, the Bible teaches there are demonic powers. Could be. Maybe she was wise enough to know how to predict. I don't know. But I do know in the Greek world, this was an important part of their understanding of God. The Jew and the follower of Jesus that took the text seriously, an abomination. To them, the very life and breath of God. So now the oracle has been given some kind of ecstatic experience by some woman who spends her whole life suspended high over a pit. The priest goes to bring it to us. He comes out of the temple from the depth of the abyss, crosses the opening,
they must have felt. We just heard the word from God. You feel the fear in their hearts. What if the word is bad? Do you feel their passion as they left there saying, we will do exactly what he Then here's my question. What on earth has happened to us? Do you understand that the oracles of God, not the utterings of a woman high on something, the oracles of the creator of heaven and earth have been given to you. You have them. All of them. The very words of God, you carry them around in your pack. No sheep livers. No washing. They're all yours. Put your hands on a collar. Pick a collar. Put your hands on a collar. Everybody. An archaeologist found an inscription here. One collar. One of these columns. One. Cost 40,000 denarii. 40,000. The inscription also says a stone cutter earns two denarii a day. That means one column took 20,000 days to make. Now, assuming that most stone cutters stay on the same stone as long as they lived or until it was finished, it took somebody 57 years to make one column. Counting their holidays and Seven years for what? To hear one word from God. And I can't get up ten minutes early to read my Bible. What has happened, brothers and sisters, to discipleship? How many passages could you recite today? How many chapters have you read in the last month? When's the last time you read through the whole oracles? Why? To be like the rabbi is to be a man or woman of the past. Switch back to the slides, please. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them, I liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. That right there, that scripture, is taken right at the end of the Beatitudes. I could right now and today, I could teach you on the Sermon on the Mount, but what kind of teacher would I be? You've all heard sermons on it. 
Dozens. But if you want to understand what it really means to be a disciple in the times and life of Jesus, people, we are not here to make Christians. If you want to be a good Christian, go to a different church. Just go. We are here to make disciples who are ready to change the world. Sons and daughters who know who they are. I can teach you about the Sermon on the Mount or you can read the Sermon on the Mount. I can teach you what the Lord says about marriage and adultery and judgment and money. Or you can go before the Lord yourself in prayer. That isn't to negate what we do here and the teaching. Teaching is important. But the teaching today is not what is the Sermon on the Mount. The teaching today is you have the oracles of God in your hand. The very words of God. Words that Adam and Eve did not have access to. Words that even Isaiah and Jeremiah didn't have access to. The complete word. Not only do you have the complete word in your hand, you have the word that was made flesh living inside you by the Spirit of God. Hear his sayings, read his sayings, get involved in the process. It's not a matter of striving like, oh, but if I don't read this much, then something's going to happen. No, but there's an understanding about the words of God and how important they are for you to engage it, which is so funny because a bunch of pagan, devil-worshipping society of people had more diligence to seek after that false god than most people in the church in America. It's, always, it's in a weird way, like I praise them in, in a weird kind of symbolic way of their energy and their servitude to their false gods. In fact, they have something to teach me. They would spend 57 years to build one column for some false god. We have a God that gave his life for you and I, who gave his word and has kept his word and has sanctified his word and kept it from being erased and you can have it on your phone. Can you quote scripture? Are you ready to teach in and out of season? As often as you come together, let everyone have a song. Let everyone have a teaching. Here you go. Your turn to teach this week. <laughs> you can't teach. You can't be ready until you're engaged in the very oracles of God day in and day out. We will spend close to one million minutes on teaching our children BS. How to make more money is K through 16, 17, counting on college, right? That's what it is. What do you do to make money? Over a million minutes. How many minutes in your lifetime, how many minutes today have you spent engaging the presence of God, opening up a gospel, reading the Proverbs, reading a Psalm, reading the Old Covenant? Whoever hears these sayings of mine. Well, what about those people who don't hear your sayings because they don't have the ability to open up a book and read it? Shame on us. Shame on us. Whew. Psalm 119. An entire chapter, the longest psalm in the Bible. The longest psalm of the Bible. I mean, pages long. Do you know what it's about? Other than Alan and Eileen? Anyone know what the longest psalm is about? Good. The Word of God. The entire chapter is about the Word of God. This is David, or a psalmist coming out and says, Blessed are the undefiled in a way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with his whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. 
Down in verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. 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 I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul melts from the heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. My soul melts from the heaviness of the beauty of your word. <laughs> Verse 101. I mean, you see how long this is? 176 verses, just about the word of the Lord. Verse 101 of Psalm 119. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words! To my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Listen to that heart. Are yearning for the word of God? But yet John 1.14 says, the word became flesh. And in closing, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive. The word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is powerful. It cuts through everything. It cuts through every lie. Every lie that Satan says unto you and every lie you say unto yourself, I'm allowed to do this. You're allowed to do something? Look in the Word of God. What does it have to say? It cuts through lies. It cuts through falsehoods. It... The heart of man is deceitful above all things. The Word of God is the thing that keeps you grounded. Do you know what the Muslims call the Jewish people? Am Sefer, the people of the book. Can you imagine being defined? To be a people of the book? To be that enthralled of the word of God, to breathe it in, to live it, to yearn for another breath, to reflect and meditate on the word of God. I hope you hear my heart. It's not a competition. Well, I, I spent an hour in the Word and you only spent half an hour. It's not a competition. It's a matter of the fullness of your heart and a question to all of us. Can we, in fact, learn from the very people that we tried to change? The pagans that worship false gods. Can you actually learn from them? Yes. They had more devotedness to their false gods. Probably most of us, if not all of us in this room. Stories of Jews in the Holocaust taking their Torah scrolls. Illegal in Germany. I've taught on that here before, a while back. Stories in Poland, Germany, Czechoslovakia. 
Nazis say you have to give us your Torah, you have to give us the words of your, your words of your God, or we're going to kill you. And they hold the Torah scrolls and they look at them and say, "Go ahead, kill us," because the word is eternal. shall pass away as the grass withers, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. This earth, a new heavens and a new earth, but no new word. The word is eternal. Oh, I'm telling you people, I'm telling you people, I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to give you the passion. The passion. The desire to read the words of God, his love letter to you, his intimacy with you, his instructions on how to live your life. It's all there. An answer, a double-edged sword, an answer to everything, to everything. Every depression, every anxiety, every worry, every concern, it's all in there. So I encourage you, if you're new to all this, tomorrow is September 3rd. Read Proverbs 3rd. I'm sorry, the third proverb. And the next day, read Proverbs, the fourth one. Because there's 31 Proverbs. Boom, one a day. Just read it. It'll take you five minutes. Just read it. Starting small. Start with the proverb. Oh, you're real crazy. If you're real crazy, start with the proverb and then open up to Matthew chapter 5 and just start with a blessing, a beatitude. Just read one a day. One, blessed are thee. And just read it. And just think about it. And next week, I'm going to just be like, here you go. Let's get a testimony how the word of God changed your outlook on life. Lord, we come before you and we want to be people of the book. But oh, we could be people of the book because of the blood of the Lamb of God who opens up the scroll. Woo! The one who rends and opens the heavens. Father, we pray right now that we could be a people who desire to come in contact with your word. Father, I pray right now, I, I speak and pray against apathy. Laziness that riddles the church in the world. Replace apathy with love. Laziness with passion for the word of God. And the passion can only come, I'm telling you, we say it almost every week, the passion can only come when there is a deep revelation that the God of heaven and earth who poured out his son to give you life, loves you so much that he's yearning to have communion and community and discussion with you through his word, through prayer, through worship. God is still calling forth from the garden saying, where'd you go? Where did you go, Adam? I'm still here, Adam. I'm still here, Eve. Take the fig leaf off and come pure before me. I feel like the Lord is saying, take the fig league off is, 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 is a representation of those things and distractions that we hide ourselves from the word of God. So take the television off. Take the tasty cake off. The beer, the cigarette off. The pursuit of money off. And come before your maker. And get into the word. It's a chore. It's a chore if you do it without the revelation that you are a son and a daughter. <laughs> Anyone ever been there? Oh, I just got to read the word today because that's what you're supposed to do. Let me just read it. Oh, and you muscle through it. That's what we're calling for here. 
we're calling for here is a revelation as a son or a daughter, a beloved, a bride, who he is well pleased and that he wants to talk to you. That when you have a communion with you, you'll feel that flutter in your heart and you'll feel it in your spirit. And it'll just be so exciting and so wonderful to yearn and glean an understanding of the word of God. So we pray Psalm 119 over the people. Let them adopt the spirit of praise and thanksgiving for the word of God. Let us get that, and then maybe next week we'll get into the Beatitudes or something. Amen? Let us stand. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. Let us not walk in darkness anymore. The flashlight, the lamp is there. A light that is so bright that no darkness can hide in it. A light that exposes all things and all sin and all evil ways. A double-edged sword that cuts through sinew and marrow. Those things that cut through the, the spirit of the age and the, the spirit that's inside of your mind. High thoughts and every evil way. Oh, word of God, come. Come into our hearts. Come into our minds right now. I desire to be studious of your word. Not out of compulsion, but out of love. Every high thought, every aisle's got to go. It's got to be trampled. It's got to be smashed. Those Greek temples are nearly destroyed, but the word of God continues. Not only does it continue, but it's in every format known to man. It's in magazines. It's in books. It's in, on devices and on computers. You can get it into almost every language known to man. You can have it be read to you as you're driving in the car. It's free. You don't even have to pay for it. It's free. Oh. Guys, I don't even know where to go from here. It's getting ro rolled so much in the Holy Ghost just for a love, a love, a love of the Word. The Word made flesh. The living Torah, the living Word. Jesus. Mm. Whoa, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him Nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus the Messiah. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The Word made flesh. The light of God. Lord, I pray right now that even though sometimes I get a little fired up. Does the word not come in a condemning way? That my passion and zeal for your word would not be 
confused with condemnation. But that we all, including myself, including myself, because you always work with the leaders first. I'm telling you, this last week, you know, I was like, oh man, I, I just had this yearning all week to just get deeper in the Word of God. The Lord gave me this message last week to have to process. And He spoke it to me about me and my failure to take His Word as seriously as probably I should. So please, Lord, don't let it be in condemnation to people. Let the passion just stir us. Let it stir us to get into your word, to learn of your ways. Yes, Lord. Amen. Of course, we have some things downstairs. Have a wonderful week. If you want to just come forward to the altar by yourself or if you want prayer either way just meditate and reflect on the word of God we can pray for you but I don't even know if we need to pray for you just just I mean we will but just be in the presence of the Lord it is so thick right now he's he's going to change your heart He's going to give you a desire to plug in the lamp of the light. Amen. Yeah, worship team, go for it.